How many are here this morning? Okay. Got half the crowd to start with. That's more unusual. I'm glad you're here. We welcome you. And if you're visiting with us, for you, uh, no, we're glad you're here. And uh, we hope you'll brave it and come back again. Uh, It's always nice to see people here who have been before and actually came back. That uh, tells me something. Either they're very weak or we're doing something right. So, uh, I'm not quite sure where to start this morning. Maybe I'll start at the beginning. Let me start by saying it's nice to have Jeff Warner back with us today after kind of a scary week. Jeff, we're glad to have you here. God bless you. Dan, nice to see you in your place again. Told you I'd put you in your place. There you go. Good. And anyone else who maybe has been away from us for a while, or been ill, or whatever, Uh, you're back with us, we're glad, we're glad to see you, we're glad you're here. Well, I'm I'm closing our short series on, anybody remember what book of the Bible we're in? Say again? Jonah. Jonah. Uh, I'm going to close our series on Jonah today, Uh, no, no, I'm not really, um, so that'll come as a, a relief, right? Because you're really into the Jonah study. Yeah, you're really enjoying the Jonah study. You can't wait for it to just keep going. You don't want me to stop. You don't want it to ever end. Okay, good. Yeah, these are the comments I've just heard because that's coming in. Um, but I'm not really going to get it done because I think I have another... I think we can find another, maybe one or two messages in this, in this phenomenal book tremendous story, and uh, I don't want to just leave it, um, leave it hanging. And I hope there's been some blessing in it for you. This is an amazing story. It's one that's always just kind of relegated to, um, kind of hesitate to say it, but to the children's level. And, uh, oh yeah, there was a big fish, we'll call it a whale, and he swallowed this guy, and Boy, that's exciting. Now moving on to the next story. Well, there's, there's so many subplots. There's so many stories. There's so many lessons. There's so many principles in these four short chapters that it just amazes me every time I open. If you have your Bible with you, I, open, I would ask you to open to the book of Jonah. If you've got your electronic device, whatever, that's where we are. Jonah, Finishing up chapter 2, looking at chapter 3, peeking into chapter 4. Let me give you a really quick review. In the first message that we, um, uh, that we attempted on this, uh, on this subject, uh, and the subject is running away from the Lord. And, and we, we, we discovered that when you run away from the Lord, three things are inevitable. One, you end up running to the strangest places and many times to the strangest of people. Um, I'm not going to elaborate on that. You can, you can download that and hear that message. But number two, we learned that your life will eventually unravel if you're running away from God. And it will self-destruct. And, and the third thing we learned from that first lesson is that running people always end up hurting those who are closest to them. Always. We also learned that you can run from God, but you can't outrun him. And Jonah's story, this is where it gets personal, and we make that application that's every day, living where we're living. 
is Jonah's story is our story. It's everyone's story. Everyone in here has a story. Well, Jonah's story is your story, and it's my story. Now, the last message, uh, number two, we saw, um, as the title says, a prophetic prayer and a puking fish. Um, Even the fish couldn't stand Jonah. He made the fish sick. I mean, he was down there, wasn't he? He was down there, wasn't he? Jonah was down in the mouth. Wow. I got some work to do this morning. Jonah was down there, wasn't he? Yeah. Whale University. Okay. So far we've seen that when you run from God, there's always a price to pay. But we also saw this, that God, our God, is a God of second chances. Second chances, third chances, fourth chances. I don't know what number you're on. Say, what if plan A doesn't work? Plan B might work. Well, aren't you glad there's 26 uh, letters in the alphabet? Yeah. Because plan A and B wouldn't have worked for me. I don't know about you. God didn't owe Jonah a second chance. This I want to underscore from the beginning. God doesn't owe anybody a second chance. But God is merciful and God is gracious, and for that, you and I are thankful. Wow. And if you had never thought of that before, just let that sink in for a minute. God is gracious and God is merciful. And for that, we're so thankful. So a message today entitled, Repent, Relent, Resent. Or that last word could be resent. So we ended our message last time with Jonah on the beach. Doing beach evangelism. He had prayed, and the fish spit him out. And if you remember, we saw that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation in life, regardless of where we are or where we've been, God's plan does not change. Say, well, if I do this and I do that, that maybe when I come back to God next time, the plan will change. Well, let me just tell you this to save you some grief. Maybe not, too. Doesn't matter about the circumstances. Doesn't matter about the situation. Doesn't matter about what's happening to me or around me or in me. God's plan does not change. So if you open your Bible to Jonah chapter 2, I want to pick up uh, the reading near the end of that uh, second chapter. And I want to read verse 10 and... Actually, I really, to, I really want to zero in on verse 11. So if we could go, to, um, if we could go to, to 11, I would appreciate that. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. My only regret in this story is that videos hadn't been invented yet. Because that had gone viral real fast. Yeah. Matter of fact, I don't even know if anybody's tried to reenact it, but... Uh, I'd love to have seen it. And then as we jump into the third chapter, here's what we read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What? We have a God of the second chance. Didn't we say that already? Mm -hmm. Has God ever come to you a second time? Has God ever said, were you listening? Did you not get the message? 
And has God ever come to you a third time or a fourth time? Maybe on the same issue. And here's what he said. These are the words of the Lord. Go to the great city of Nineveh. I've heard that before. And proclaim to it the message I give you. Next two words are vitally important. And they are, Jonah obeyed. That's another message all by itself right there. I could spend a couple weeks on that one. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And he went to Nineveh. Things are changing, folks. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. I had a car like that once. Um, And Jonah began by going into it. No more jokes, I promise, because you're not getting any of them, so I'll just forget it. Nothing worse than a comedian, you know, and every joke goes flat. I mean, that's worse than a preacher trying to be funny. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. See, it was three days to go through it, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So God tells Jonah the exact same thing. Matter of fact, this is, this is being repeated over and over. He tells him the exact same thing that he told him before. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, I don't want to get too far into the text, but I want to give you a little background on Nineveh, and I want you to just understand a little bit about that city. It was a city-state located in what is today known as the country of Iraq. The Ninevites were known throughout the ancient world as very wicked and violent people. They lived unto themselves, and they did what they wanted to do. They were answerable to nobody. They engaged in child sacrifices. They engaged in very immoral lifestyles and just plain wickedness all around. And they were sworn enemies of the Israelites. And it was a a pretty large city. It took three days to go through it. It had a population of around 120,000 in comparison. That'd be like taking the city of Portland, the city of Bangor, and the city of Augusta uh, together. Those three cities would make up about 120,000 people combined, uh, or about 15 Ellsworths, if you want to put it in local context, okay, according to the Census Bureau. So Nineveh wasn't a small place. And so Jonah goes one day's journey. That means he's going into the heart of the city, and he starts crying these words. You've got 40 days before you're all dead meat. Now, not only was Nineveh a very large city, it was a city-state. What does that mean? Well, it means they had their own king, and the king of the Ninevite people was right there in that city. He had his own palace, he had his own court, And so this would be equivalent of you or I going to the halls of Congress or to the gate outside the White House, that one that's open and you just jump over and walk in at will, and saying, you can get over 100 feet past the front door, I would say, we're a secure nation, and you have 40 days to repent, I wish somebody would do this, or you'll be destroyed. By the way, America's on its path to destruction, if you hadn't noticed. Anybody feel like God's calling you to do that? Speak to me after the service. The way things are going, it wouldn't surprise me if God didn't soon call someone to do just that. But all I can say is, you'd better be sure it's the Lord calling you to do it and not the pizza you ate last night for supper, okay? So Jonah goes and he preaches repentance and look what happens. You pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 5. The Ninevites, I love these short, terse, absolute 
verses and, and sentences, just boom. The Ninevites, four words in this sentence. The Ninevites, what? Believe God. They were quicker to believe than Jonah was. Jonah's on the second time around after a little bit of a, an experience here. And the Ninevites only had to hear it once, and they believed. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And that was a, that was a sign of repentance. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, reached the king now, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, robes which they never do, covered himself with sackcloth, which he would never do, and sat down in the dust, which he would never do. That would be utter humility. That would be sorrow. For sin. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh to Ninevites. By the decree of the king and his nobles, here's what he said Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat. Do not let them drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Boy, he's going to cover it all, isn't he? Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. This king is no dummy. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Wow. Wow. I'd say some things are going on. I'd say this man gets it. Now, I want to I touch on something here this morning really quickly. If you remember, Jonah has been, I call him the reluctant prophet. He's been reluctant all through this, this whole thing. He's tried to run away from God before, right? He got on a boat. How many remember that? And God used that situation to do what? To bring pagan sailors to repentance and faith. Now, Jonah's in the city of Nineveh, and he, ha- he has no love, none whatsoever, no compassion, no concern whatsoever in his heart for these people of Nineveh. He's just doing, he's just doing it because he knows what's going to happen to him or he doesn't want to think of it if he doesn't do it. And the ent- this is the most phenomenal story of conversion in the Bible. The whole city repents. And they're calling out to God, and they're fasting, and they're bringing offerings to God. If this tells us anything, it's that God can use anybody, listen to me very carefully, anywhere at any time. That means you. What is God looking for? It's someone who will do what he's commanded. You see, he called Moses way back when. And Moses said, this sounds like a good plan, but I'm not, your man. I'm not your man. See, I can't put two sentences together. I stutter a lot, and I stammer, and those people will make fun of me, and they'll just run me off the desert. I mean, I don't have a chance. That didn't matter to God. He said, remember who made your tongue? He said, what mattered was that Moses obeyed, and he went. And God did great things through Moses, and he was a man of great exploits because of that. And so we shouldn't ever get in our heart that we can't share God's gospel or that we can't do things for the Lord or that we can't be useful in the service or the ministry of the Lord. We, we don't want to get that in our mind. One of the many biblical truths we learn from Jonah is that it is God's power working in us 
to fulfill God's purpose through us. Can I just underscore? It's not of anything that we do. It's not of any talent that we bring. It's not of any wisdom that we have. It's not of any design of ours. It's God's purpose, and he'll fulfill it through us. Now, pick up in Jonah, uh, chapter 3. I want to read, if I could, uh, verse 10, because I stopped at verse 9. But, but, but for, verse 10 is very interesting, too. And when God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he, what? Relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He said, Jonah, go into the city and tell them 40 days. They've got 40 days. They repent, clean up their act, or they're vaporized. They're gone. And when God saw how their hearts had turned from evil to serve the one true and living God, he relented. And he didn't bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Boy, if you've never heard this story told this way before, I want you to try to tuck some of these things into your head and into your heart right now because I'm going to make a point in a few minutes and, and, and I want you to be there with me when I make that point because it's so, so, so important. It's key to everything that we're saying this morning. So now the people of Nineveh repent. These are pagan, godless people. They actually turn from their sin, and God relents, and he spares them immediate judgment. And there's another principle right here, another one. We just pick up. We just pick up one principle after another. Do you know it's actually harder to do outreach and preach and do evangelism in the Bible Belt than it is outside of it? You know, you laugh, but I spent nearly five years in the Bible Belt. And I've spent over 25 years now in the cradle of the Great Awakenings here in New England. So over 30 years of my, over 40 years of ministry has been either in the Bible Belt or the cradle of awakening. And it's tough. It's hard to do. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Here we have, and in the Bible Belt they have, people who have heard about Jesus and heard about Jesus and heard about Jesus and heard about Jesus. They've heard about God. They've heard the God thing. They know the God language. They could recite it better than you and I. They've heard John 3.16. They can reel that off as if they had written it. They've heard, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They've heard all of this. They've heard it all their lives, but their ears and even people right here in Hancock County, Maine have become dull of hearing. They've heard it and they know it, but they haven't darkened the door of a church or even thought of it in 15 years. They've heard it and they know it. They can't name a single person that they've ever influenced towards Christ. They've heard it, and they know it, and they can count on one hand the number of spiritual conversations they've engaged in in the past three years, or two years, or one year, or six months, or the last month, or even the last week. In fact, did you know the majority of church growth today taking place in many places I mean, we have biological growth, and that's fine. We want our young people to grow up in the church as much as possible, and we want them to come to Christ, and we want them to be useful uh, uh, Christians, and we want them to go into the community and, and have a, a, an impact. But that's not where most of, the, uh, most of the church growth is happening today in many places. It's people moving from one church to another. And if enough people, if enough people move from one church to another, the churches that they move from will eventually close, and that's exactly what's happening right here in Hancock County exactly what happened. 
And part of that is because the people who aren't going to church are already, I call them evangelized sinners. You can't present the gospel to them. They know more about the gospel than you know. But they've already decided they don't want it, don't need it. They can judge God by judging Christians. Hello? And the people who are moving from church to church are going to go. They're going to church. They're going to be in a church. They're going to get active in a church if they were active in the last one. They're just going to go to the one where they feel they're being ministered to and where they can minister. And the bottom line is this. A church that replenishes its members exists, and a church that doesn't, doesn't. Oh, you'll exist for a while. But that's what you'll do, just exist. And that's the last order of business before you lock the door. And I'm saying this because our emphasis here hasn't been as strongly in the area of evangelism directly as you and I know it. But we're doing some retooling and some rethinking here. Here's the problem, is if all your church or our church or any church is doing is just replenishing its members with members from other churches, and by the way, if you're here and you were in another church, but now you're in this church, please stay. We don't want to keep this cycle going, and we don't plan to send you back. I had a preacher call me one day right here in Ellsworth, and he said, what's the idea of stealing my sheep? Who wants to hear my response? No, it was very theologically intelligent. I said, number one, they're not your sheep, they're his. They're not my sheep or your sheep, they're his. Number two, you must have holes in your fences. You need to do some fixing. He said, what do you mean? I said, they'll go where the food is. They're hungry. So if you're here, we're glad you're here. This isn't to drive you out of here. I can do that in other ways. (laughs) But you see... If a church that replenishes exists, then the problem is is all your church is doing to replenish is to get people moving from one church to another. That's what we call a Band-Aid approach, and that's not a cure. That doesn't help anything. That's no real growth. That's like taking a $5 bill out of my left-hand pocket and putting it in my right-hand pocket. Guess how much money I have? Exact same amount. There's no growth there. If I take the 5 out of my left pocket and put it in my right pocket and pull it out and it's a 10, I'd say, Woo! That hasn't happened yet. More often, I take the 10 out and the 5 comes up. (laughs) Huh? You've been there, haven't you? And then, of course, we've got these churches that are, and I've been in them, I've pastored them, that are full of cave Christians. And you say, what's a cave Christian? A A cave Christian is a Christian against virtually everything. You ask them what they're for, they can hardly tell you. But man, they keep you all day telling you what they're again. I'm again this, I'm again this, I'm again this. I'm like, I don't know where I'm get that. Like, well, that's a happy church. I'd like to go there. <laughs> now, before I get too far off track, or maybe I'm already there, I know where the text is and I'll get back to it. The people repent and God relents. And in chapter 4, my, 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 we have some interesting stuff in that fourth chapter. Because it starts right out with our old buddy Jonah, and uh, he doesn't like what's going on. He doesn't like it at all. So chapter 4, here's how it starts. But to Jonah, (laughs) I don't get this. This seemed very wrong. Uh, Jonah, this is God speaking. 
You know that wicked city, Nineveh, where I told you to go in the first place, and you took a bit of a detour? It's kind of a wet one. You, you go there, you preach your little heart out, and tell them they got 40 days, and if they get it right, I'll take my hand of judgment off them, and just go down there and preach and watch what happens. So he gets to the heart of the city. The message gets to the king's residence. The whole city repents. The whole city, 120,000 people plus. And I guess maybe the animals too, because they had them in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes, and they were sitting in dust. So maybe they all got saved too. It's great. Some of you have pets. You go home and witness to them. And God, and God relents, and Jonah gets, and he became, no, no, go ahead and say it. He became, what do we got here? Some kind of a, Bipolar, nutcase, or what's going on? I mean, his, the calling on his life is to deliver the, the life-giving message of God to people who are living in sin. And he does it. It's a very simple message. And the people repent. But he got angry. Jonah, the man of God. And then he had a little conversation. And this is very important. You may have overlooked this, so let me just remind you. He prayed to the Lord. Here's what he said to the Lord. <laughs> this, let me paraphrase it first, that first line of what he said. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> well, yeah, I told you. He says to God, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. He's still making excuses for fleeing to Tarshish. Get over it. We don't live there anymore, Jonah. Move on. Yeah. I knew that you were gracious. Oh, he's getting, he's getting holy again. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Guy is up and down and all around. Think about what's being being what's happening here. Jonah is number one, the man of God. He is the prophet of God. That is specially called of God for a purpose. He went through a hard season by being thrown off a boat and swallowed by a big fish. Have we forgotten that? And he's now standing in judgment against people who, in all actuality, are no worse than he is. And what's really interesting here is that even, and this is a man of God. This is God's own chosen prophet. And what's interesting to me here is Jonah is angry. And you keep reading through chapter 4. He has perfect theology. He says, I know you're a gracious God, right? I know you're merciful, check. I know you're slow to anger. Mm -hmm. And you're abounding in steadfast love. That's pretty much God right there, isn't it? And Jonah said, I know this. I don't just think it or didn't just hear it or read it in a book. And I know that you often relent from disaster coming upon people. Then look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 4. Now, Lord, after this great theological treatise, oh, my, he reminds me of Elijah so much. He said, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
You know what he said? Oh, God, just kill me! <laughs> and just to say at ease, preachers don't always make sense, you know. It's okay. I don't mind if you think that. This, did I tell you that this guy went into one of the most wicked cities in the empire? And every single soul in there came to God, his God, repented in sackcloth, and turned to the living God? And he got angry and he said, oh, I told you it would happen this way, so yeah, just kill me. Well, I'm accentuating a point here because I want you to get something and I want to tie it together in just a moment or two. Or three or ten or fifty or 150 or whatever. Now, how messed up is this guy's mind? God, in essence, he's saying, I'd rather die than see people get saved. I'd rather die than see people live for you. And I got to tell you right there, God showed his mercy again because sometimes when these guys say things like that, you're expecting the next verse to say, whap! And Jonah disappeared. (laughs) No. No. Let me try to explain here what's going on. If I can, write this down if you're a note taker. Whatever pleases God should please us. geek. Yeah, it's even tough to write, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever pleases, I didn't put on the screen for a purpose because I didn't want everybody running out at once. Whatever pleases God should please us. That's not the case with Jonah here in Nineveh. And let's keep in mind what we already know about Jonah. He was a man who knew the ways of God. He was a prophet. He was religious. Hey, you know what? That fits somebody else in the Bible, doesn't it? What about the Pharisees? Pharisees had a prayer that went like this. They would say, quote, God, I thank you that I'm not a Samaritan, a Gentile, or a woman. That was the end of that prayer. That was the Pharisaical attitude that came to Jonah. Nineveh had for ages been, a th- and still is today, a thorn in the side of Israel, and he wanted them obliterated. Shock and awe. And not only that, his language in verse 2 that I read for you a moment ago shows me how really nationalistic this man is. He was nationalistic to the point of sinfulness. Oh, Lord, he said, is not this what I said when I was yet at home or in my own country? Wow. You know what Jonah is right here? He's a guy who is saying, my country, my country, right or wrong. You know what Jonah is right here? He's a guy who is saying, my country, my country, and to hell, literally, with everybody else. And that spirit continued on and continued on and continued on and continued on even to Jesus' day, several hundred years later. And at this point, if you would turn with me, I'd love for you to go to Luke chapter 19. Well, you can follow on the screen too, but in Luke chapter 19, starting down at verse 41, we have some interesting words. There we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And and, and, and let me just start by reading it. As he, and by the way, just so you know, verse 41 of Luke 19, the he is Jesus. 
As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Boy, did that prophecy come true. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, or your Bible version might say, of God's visitation. Wow. So here we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And the scripture passage tells us that he, as he drew near, he was overwhelmed. And he wept over the city saying, if you only knew the cost of peace, if you only understood what it cost, who provided it, and what's available to you. Jerusalem and all Israel was totally ignorant. And much of Israel... And many of the Israelite people are still ignorant today to the truth of the, of the coming of the Messiah. Judgment was coming on them. and We still love them and we pray for them. If you don't pray for the peace of Israel and if you're not praying right now for the peace of Israel, boy, start today, people. And if you know anything about Bible prophecy, if you know anything about end times, you can see why you should be praying for the peace of Israel. Because you think it's going to impact, oh, it's going to impact Western civilization, even America. Listen, it's going to impact every Christian on the globe. I don't have time to explain that to you right now. I want you to take my word for it, but I would like to teach on that sometime again. That idea of, of peace coming, or in some versions it says the visitation, has to do with God actually coming to his people either to judge them or to save them. And Luke continually, the doctor continually, is using that term in reference to the Lord bringing salvation to his people. So when Jesus says this, he is meaning they didn't recognize his, his coming was for their redemption and for their salvation from sin. And they're looking for some earthly political leader. Can I stop right there and say some people on this earth are still looking for some, some charismatic, wonderful inexplicable political leader who's going to take us out of all this junk. If you're one of those people, stop thinking that way and start praying for Israel. You spend your time a lot better. Yeah, this great political leader was going to throw off the yoke of Roman bondage. Oh, and everything would be peaceful and kind. Look at what Jesus said there in that 42nd verse. He said, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace? If you'd only realized it. And then if you go to Luke chapter 14, just back up five chapters, and you read something else that's very important. And down in verse 31, I read these words, or suppose a king is about to go to war. Luke is using these Greek words, these, these expressions that just come to light as we translate them. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, 
He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask him for what? Terms of peace. And your, your Bible might say conditions of peace. Same phrase. So the picture we get is that Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, is coming to a rebellious people. And he's willing to make peace. And if you missed this, you've missed everything I said this morning. He is willing to make peace with his people, but only on his terms. And his terms were told time and time again in the Old Testament, through the law, through the prophets. And in the New Testament, by John, by Jesus himself. And i got to tell you, Jerusalem knew the terms of peace, but they rejected them. They should have known the time of their visitation or the coming of the one who brought peace. And I say that respectfully because there are more than 300 Old Testament prophecies that were completely fulfilled in Christ, but they still rejected him. And many of them still reject them, but I do have some good news. Many of them, on a daily basis, in countries around the world, are coming to faith in Christ, realizing him as Messiah. Nothing thrills the heart of God more than that. Nothing. See, they were looking for a political, earthly king And they thought, this person will come and he'll really be a dominator. He'll really be able to take take hold of things and and he'll get us out of this Roman rule. And you know what he'll eventually do? He'll bring Israel back to the former glory years. Those were the years when David was on the throne and even some of Solomon's reign. Those are the glory years of Israel. Still referred to as the glory years. But time and time again, Jesus went a long way to show them that they were mistaken. For the king and his kingdom had already arrived. It had been manifested in Jesus' words. Certainly been proven many times in Jesus' deeds. That's what Luke eleven twenty, if you want to look that up on your own sometime, tells us. Jesus goes on to say that judgment is coming. And when that When that announcement, I want to just say that again. Judgment is coming. And when that word was given back, way back then, it was all over for Jerusalem. God had given them over to their own sin. God had said, well, I've given you every chance in the book. You still reject. This is where we stand now. Because I had warned you and warned you and warned you of the judgment to come. That's what Romans, by the way, we'll go back to that sometime too, if you would. But Romans chapter 1, get those in your notes, verses 18 through 32, that last half of Romans 1, because you won't maybe understand a lot of the book of Romans until you've got chapter 1 right down. It tells us, really, what happens. When people continually reject God, God gives them over. There is a line that's drawn. Even back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. 
Even if you look at a graphic example of this in the life of the Israelites was when Moses was leading the great mob of Israelites and out there doing God's will and trying to lead them out of the, out of the wilderness. And Pharaoh kept saying, okay, you can go. Then he changed his mind. Then he'd say, yeah, you can go. Then he changed his mind. And he went through a plague and then another plague and then another plague and then another plague. And at the end of all of that, when he said, oh, okay, let them go, let them go, let them go. And then he let them go and they were in hot pursuit after them. Here's what the Bible says. Every time he changed his mind, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, it looked like they were all done and the Egyptians were going to be swallowed up and Pharaoh was going to lose and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he had a chance to pull out of this and do right and do favor to the children of Israel, but he didn't. And you know what? Pharaoh hardened his heart. You can read that in Exodus. You can read that over and over and over. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And we can do this today too. We can harden our hearts toward God. We can listen to it. We can hear it. We can almost accept it. We don't want to make it personal, of course, but it's good for you, Bob, and I'm glad for you. But I'm just going to harden my heart and harden my heart. And here's, I think, some of the saddest words in in the Old Testament. After all those Pharaoh hardened his hearts, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let me tell you what happens when you read that. Flashing red lights. Pharaoh, it's over. It's over. Judgment to come. Judgment is declared and ordained by God himself on on rebellious people, and it comes suddenly. The people of Jerusalem thought they could go on doing what they were doing, just living the way they were living, rejecting anything that even had a religious overtone, rejecting the terms of peace offered by Christ, rejecting the salvation offered in his name, rejecting Christ himself. I'm sure there were plenty of religious, very religious, went to, went to the synagogue every Saturday, people who said, oh, I'll do what I want for now. There's plenty of time to repent. I'll do it someday. I'll do it later. People still saying that today. But then, judgment came. In 70 AD, Rome surrounded and attacked Jerusalem. Christians fled to the hills. Amazingly, most of them escaped the judgment, but the Jewish people, those who had not believed, were literally butchered. Historians tell us that well over a million of them were killed. The city was completely ransacked. The temple was completely destroyed. That was about 40 years from the time Jesus said what was going to happen would happen. And the judgment of God actually fell on Jerusalem. I read that every once in a while just to sober myself and think about things that are happening and have happened in my lifetime. And I ask the question, I wonder how long we have in the United States. Say, why, why the U.S.? Because that's where I live, and I'm, I am concerned. There's another generation or two coming up under us, and i got to tell you, I think of that every day. wonder how long we have. wonder how long any of our children or grandchildren have. 
I mean, we're living in a nation where people name the name of Christ, yet they live like the world and for the world and for themselves. We live in a nation where the blood of innocent babies is crying out to the Lord for judgment, crying out every day. We live in a nation where perversion and, 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 and all kinds of illicit behavior grow more and more accepted every day. And sometimes I think we may even be worse than Jerusalem. We may even be worse than Nineveh. Fifty years ago, Billy Graham was quoted, and here's what he said. If God doesn't judge America, 50 years ago, if God doesn't bring judgment on America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are hard words, end of quote. That was 50 years ago. Now, some of you are sitting here today and say, man, I'm not coming back to this church again. I don't need to hear sermons that are so bleak and fearful. Can I just tell you I haven't come to my main point yet? (laughs) So hang in there. Fasten your seatbelt. You'll be okay. Luke didn't write these passages in chapter 14 or in chapter 19 just to tell us about judgment. And I'm so glad I got to that point in my message. Because the main point of the text of the whole book of Luke, but especially those chapters in the middle, is to let us know that Jesus Christ is always eager and willing to make peace with rebellious and sinful men and women. If we only accept, same thing, on his terms. On his terms. A lot of people today say, well, don't bother me with that stuff, Bob, I'm a Christian. People forever telling me I'm religious. I said, I don't score very high in that category. I'm sorry. I'm all about relationship. I'm not a religious freak for Jesus. I'm in a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. He's my own personal Savior and Lord and guide. And here's what I mean. Let me explain to you. Let me take you into a secret compartment of my life. Here's what I mean when I say I'm a Christian. And when I say to you I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting out that I'm the personification of perfect living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. Let's all say that word together. Forgiven! the most beautiful words in the English language. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing to you that I stumble and I need Jesus Christ as my guide. And I never grow beyond that need. Hey, when I say to you, I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong for you. I'm professing to you that I'm weak. And I need his strength to carry on. When I look at you and say, you know what I am? I'm a Christian. I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I've failed. 
and keep failing. Because of that, I need God to clean up my messes. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to have arrived. My flaws are all too visible. But God, hear me, hear me, God believes that I'm worth it. And he believes that you're worth it. Look at that cross. See that blood stain. Think about that for a moment. When I say to you, I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches and disappointments, but I'm still going to call on his name through it all. When I say I'm a Christian, please cut me some slack. I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple old-fashioned sinner who received the grace of God, the good grace, and you ask me how that happened? Somehow! I wish I could explain it. Better felt than tell. I, 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 I can't explain it. The grace of Almighty God to take any one of us here, standing or seated, and accept us into his kingdom on the merit of the shed blood of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is more than I can ever explain to you. But I'll take it. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is forgiving. There's that word again. God longs to make peace with rebellious people. Look, here's the good news. He's already paid the price. You don't have to. Christianity is not a D.O. religion or system. Christianity is a D.O.N.E. relationship. It's already been done. The price has been paid. Everything that needs to be done has been done in order to make that peace, that peace with God. You see, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price. What did he pay? He died in my place. In my place. That was my death on that cross that was deserved, not his. What did he pay? He took the punishment of all my sin. And all of your sin. And all the sin of the world. He even endured the wrath of the Heavenly Father. And he endured that wrath in my place. That was reserved for me and for you and for anyone else who's ever drawn breath. And if you'll turn to him today in faith, in repentance, and just accept, he will accept you. <laughs> He'll take you as his very own. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to pass a course. You don't. You just come. As he said to Israel, as he said to Jonah, tell the Ninevites, come on my terms. And he'll forgive your sin. And he will pass on to you eternal life. So here's a question for you this morning. Will you accept these terms? Or will you, like Jonah, just keep on running? Can I ask a couple of personal questions and then I'll wrap up? Thank you for your indulgence. Have you ever, you personally, not the guy next to you, 
not the people behind you, not somebody that isn't even here today, but have you personally ever truly accepted God's terms and taken that gift of salvation? It's been paid for. It's all looked after. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and I've been doing this quite a little bit through this uh, series because I just think it... It cries for this kind of action. We don't do it here all the time. We don't do it a lot. But sometimes it begs a question, and the question has to come out to everybody. So I'm going to ask you if personally, if you've ever truly accepted God's terms and you would accept the gift of salvation through Christ, and you say, I I thought about this. I've heard about this. I've heard others talk about this. I've heard preachers preach about this. God bless you but I've never really taken it personally. If so, I'm going to ask that today, if today's your day, I'm not going to coerce or force anybody to do anything. We don't prime the pump here. But if you would come and say to me, I'm going to stand over here during this next song because it's part of the message and I want you to really get all the message, so I want you to get that final musical message that'll tie it together. But while I'm standing there quietly, if you want to come to me and say, Bob, I'm not running anymore. I'm not going to be Jonah. I'm going to accept God's terms, and today I'm going to receive Jesus as my Savior. Right here, right now. You say, well, I don't think I could do that. Well, then, if you need help, ask someone if they go with you. I don't want you to come down and say, oh, that was a great game last night, wasn't it? Oh, the weather, isn't it a wonderful day? Yes to all those things, I'll do that in advance. I want to hear someone say to me, today, God got a hold of me, and I'm making a personal decision to accept God on his terms and to take the gift of salvation. Music to my ears. You'll set me back 20 years in age. Oh, that's hard to imagine. It's even scary, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Wow, you're so good. We see so many, we just see so many examples of your goodness and of your grace. And and we're speechless. We don't know how to even explain what you've done for us or how you've done it. But we're thankful for it. And so as we come to this important part of the message now, If there's a heart, if there's a soul here anywhere who's been touched by this message and moved to a place where they're going to put feet to their faith, I would ask that you give the courage, the strength, the conviction for that man or that woman or that young person or whomever it might be to step out and say, today I'm accepting God's terms and I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. All to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Listen very carefully to these words.